Welcome to the Life and Legacy Show, where we discuss all things elder law, estate, and legacy planning. Hosted by certified elder law attorney, Tim Seckler, from the Seckler Law Firm. And now your host, attorney Tim Seckler. And welcome to this week's edition of the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by the Seckler Law Firm, where great families make great estate plans. My name is Tim Seckler. I am an attorney in the state of Pennsylvania. Our main office is in Cranberry Township, North Pittsburgh. And if you are new to joining us for this radio show, I appreciate you joining me uh, here uh, for today's episode. Uh, we do this each and every week. We've got uh, well over 100 episodes at this point, which you can find the old archives on Spotify or Apple iTunes um, and uh, or on my website, um, secularlawfirm.com. Um, and the reason that we do this show is because I believe in educating people on their estate planning options. I have been in the estate planning practice uh, for about 12 years. I've owned a law firm that entire time. Uh, and I keep seeing the same issues over and over and over again and the same confusion points over and over and over again. And so what I want to do is just teach you the things that I think you need to know to make good decisions for your family and your finances because I do not want to see you make mistakes. I don't want to see you go broke. Uh, and, of course, I would like to be able to assist you with your estate plan if you saw fit. Now, here's uh, the topic of today's episode is why simple wills are nonsense. Uh, the advice all you need is a simple will is generally nonsense. Not always, but a lot of the time. And so since we're going to be doing some technical stuff today, what I'm going to ask you to do is just bear with me through a little disclaimer that this is not legal advice. This is for your education and information. I am not your attorney by uh, the fact of you merely listening to our radio show. I hope you learn a lot. But every family situations are unique, and you need to hire a lawyer if you need legal advice. Uh, we're available anytime at 724-546-4227, or you can check us out at our website, it is secularlawfirm.com, but here's the problem. My last name is hard to spell, and my first name is easy to spell. So all you got to go to is estateplantim.com. So estateplantim.com will get you to our website, and um, you'll find tons of information about the firm and how we operate. Uh, we invite people to come to workshops uh, prior to sitting down with an attorney. And the reason for that is a lot of people have the same questions. And so rather than billing you every single minute I can, every uh, like some law firms do, rather than charging you for initial consultations, we bring you to an educational event first. We teach you the things that you need to know in order to make good decisions about your uh, situation for your family, your finances. And by doing a lot of the work in a group session, we can save you uh, some money on your estate plan. And so that's kind of the idea. We've got workshops um, north of Pittsburgh, south of Pittsburgh, soon to be east of Pittsburgh. Uh, and we are here uh, to uh, to serve you whenever you're ready. All right, so let's talk about why simple wills are nonsense. And, and so first, let's just, you know, some context. These estate planning documents, whether we're talking about a will or whether we're talking about a trust, right, um, they're just tools. Uh, a will is not better than a trust. A trust is not better than a will. They do different things. Um, and so your goal, the key is to understand what are these different things that these documents do. But here's my problem, is that lots of attorneys and lots of folks in the financial space and lots of people that will tell you this across the, you know, the neighbor's fence, all you need is a simple will. You're not rich. 
All you need is a simple will. Um, and I tell you, from my opinion, a lot of the time, that's nonsense. Um, now, sure, some people don't have much, maybe just starting out. Maybe you don't have family that we're really concerned about. Everything's going to a nonprofit or something. Uh, maybe all of your money, you know, you, you, you have it in certain types of accounts or something. So on occasion, we'll find a situation where all you need is a simple will, maybe the right thing. But I can tell you from my standpoint, I don't think so because – you know, if you really think about at its core what a will is designed to do, the whole, the whole process of having a will um, was when I pass away, who gets my stuff, right? Uh, if, if I die, I've got some money, I want my money to go to these people, right? Um, now, here's the thing that's key to understand, though, is that for the average American, most of your money is not going to go through your will to begin with, right? Most of your money in all likelihood, your investments, a lot of it is in retirement accounts, IRAs, 401ks, 403bs. And those assets are beneficiary designated, right? Um, so that money is going to go to somebody, uh, but it has nothing to do with your will. It's going to be whatever contract you sign with the financial institution. Right? Uh, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Well, here's the thing. Whether we're talking about a beneficiary designation or whether we're talking about a will, um, we're only answering really the primary question is who gets my stuff when I pass away. But I suggest to you in your in your course of finding out how to best plan for your family, most people want to answer more questions than that. Most people want to answer questions like, what happens if I die and my kids are still little? What happens if, if the money goes to my grandchildren uh, because maybe my child dies before me? What happens if, God forbid, you know, I've, I've got a disabled child. I've got a grandchild with, with autism right now. We're not sure how he's going to fare when he's older. Uh, what happens if my kid goes through a divorce? Are there ways that I could protect my daughter's inheritance from her potential future divorce or lawsuit? The answer, of course, is yes. Um, can I avoid probate? Can I protect assets from nursing home expenses? If we're concerned about any of those issues, which exceed the question, who gets my stuff when I pass away? If we want to answer all those questions, then we cannot rely on a beneficiary designation because a beneficiary designation doesn't answer any of those questions. And a simple will, depending on how we want to define what a simple will is, they don't answer those questions either, right? A simple will, you know, the, the ones that you get that just say give it to the kids or whatever, you know, they don't deal with issues like what happens if my spouse is in a nursing home? What happens if my daughter goes through a divorce? You can't do that with a simple will. And so it's not that simple wills are inherently bad in the same fashion that the screwdriver is not bad. A screwdriver does a different thing than a hammer. The question is, what are your objectives, right? Because if we need to unscrew a screw out of the wall, a screwdriver works better than a hammer. If we need to break a window, a hammer works better than a screwdriver, right? And so for some situations, we need to be able to understand how the tools match up with your goals, which then, of course, necessitates you doing some goal setting here. Listen, estate planning, this is really important stuff, and it's not a thing you want to do halfway. It's not a, a thing where, 
uh, we just need to check the box. Okay, somebody said I need to get a will, so I got a will. I don't really know what the thing says or what any of it means, and I don't really understand that 80% of my stuff actually goes through beneficiary designations. But I got my will, so it allows me to tell my spouse or my family that, look, you're planned for. When the reality is you're not planning for any of the stuff that we actually need to be planning for. Right Now, let's, let's think about this further. I could write you a will that says – uh, that answers a lot of these questions, some of the questions. We could write you a will that says what happens if your child is underage. I could write you a will that says what happens if my child is disabled. I could write you a will that that addresses the issue, what happens if my daughter receives her inheritance and then goes through a divorce? Is there anything I can do to protect the money? But once we get into that kind of planning with wills, we are beyond what most attorneys would call a simple will. We're now into some pretty complex planning. We're just using a will as the tool, as, as sort of the chassis that these planning provisions ride on, right? But here's what I know. Even if you do the goodwill, not the simple will, but you do a goodwill, you're still going to send 80% of your stuff through beneficiary designations because your financial advisor is going to tell you, oh, but you don't want to use a will. You have to have a will, but you, you don't want to send this money through the will because then that means we have to go through probate, Right? So probate, by definition, is the administration of your will through the probate process once you pass away. Um, people talk about avoiding probate because it can be costly, it can take forever, um, and, and you know certain information that could have been kept private is now public information. And you know there's, there's um, just the general headache of having to deal with another government entity. But here's here I'm going to add I'm going to add a couple more things to to this list of why you want to avoid probate. I had a case last year in Allegheny County. Uh, my grandma had passed away and left some money to her kids and left some money to her grandkids. Right? Um, now I believe that the proper role of the judge in a situation like this is to sort of be a referee. Look, if people are fighting over the money, then the judge has to settle that. Uh, the judge is also to make sure that the executor is doing a good job, keeping his, his best interest uh, moving toward the, the interest of the beneficiaries. But what I keep seeing is judges inserting themselves not as referees but as, as players in this system. And so let me explain. Um, this lady that passed away, she left some money to her kids and her grandkids. And the will said – now, we didn't write the will, but the will was fine. The will said that the money was to go to her grandkids in what's called a Uniform Transfers to Minors Act account, an UTMA account. Well, okay, so what that essentially would do is leave the, the parents in charge of the money until the, um, until the grandchildren turned 21 years old, at which point in time they would get control of their money. And the money that the grandmother left to the grandchildren was not huge money. It was under $10,000 to four or five grandkids. Fine. Uniform Transfers to Minors Act probably don't need a lot of thing, a lot more complication than that for, for five or $10,000. Um, fine. Except the judge wouldn't allow us to do it. The judge required us to do court sequestered accounts, which means that the court system is in charge of the money until the kids turn 18 or 21 years old. Um, which means we got to get a judge's approval to make distributions from the money, from the money for the benefit of the kids, which means you got to hire a lawyer to get the judge's approval, which means we're going to waste a lot of this money on legal fees in, instead of using the money for the benefit of the grandchildren. And I have to think, you know, and, and when you think about that, and, and the reason that the judge wanted to do it that way was because the judge had had an experience where a parent stole from a child out of a Uniform Transfers to Minors Act account. He didn't want to see it happen again. That's a valid notion. Uh, 
But presumably grandma was counseled on this issue, and she chose the Uniform Transfers to Minors Act account. It was her money, right? In, in, in my opinion, why is a judge overriding grandma's wishes? You know, the thing is called a Uniform Transfers to Minors Act account because the legislature passed an act for exactly this situation. Um, and the grandma referenced the act with how she wanted it to have happen, and that's not how it happened. Um, and so, you know, when, when that occurred, I just thought to myself, you know what, when reasonably possible, I don't think we should be sending our clients to the probate court because this is not what grandma wanted. And the fact is, it was five or $10,000 to go into some grandkids. I, I, we really didn't need the judge's help. There was nobody fighting over the money. We could have handled this as a private matter. And had the grandma known that this is what the judge was going to do, I can almost guarantee she would not have done this distribution. She would have left the money all to her kids and says, hey, give this money to the grandkids after I pass away and say it's from nanny, right? And so you got this situation. And I'm going to give you another reason why you probably want to avoid the probate system is because if you end up in a nursing home later in life and on Medicaid benefits, which a lot of people in nursing homes do end up on Medicaid benefits, the state of Pennsylvania has a claim against your house, right? So you can become financially eligible for Medicaid, which means you've gone through all your money, you become eligible for Medicaid, and then you've gone through all your money, <clears throat> and then now you're on Medicaid, which means the state of Pennsylvania is paying the nursing home for all of your care, which is great. And you can go on Medicaid and still own a house. They don't count your primary residence. But here's the thing. When you pass away... The state of Pennsylvania comes after your house out of your estate. It's called the Estate Recovery Program. The sole purpose of this program is really to get your house after you pass away. Now, you go to the Medicaid office and apply for Medicaid. They'll tell you, oh, we don't count the house. We don't count the house. Your house is fine. Well, the house is fine from an eligibility standpoint, but it is not fine. They're going to take it when you pass away. They give you this trifold brochure amongst 500 other pages of information they give you. And the trifold brochure has smiling people on the front of it, and it looks like a very happy thing. And the entire document is about how they're going to take your house when you pass away. Right? Now, here's the interesting thing about all this. The estate recovery claim is limited to someone's probate estate, which means if we avoid probate, we avoid estate recovery, which means by simply not sending your house through the will – We've avoided the estate recovery program, which is an excellent reason to have your house in a trust, which we've talked about on numerous episodes. I personally believe for most retirees, upper middle class folks, middle class folks, we should have your primary house in a, in a trust to protect it from nursing home expenses, and it has the added benefit of avoiding probate when you pass away. Right? So I happen to think, just one planner's notion on this, that a lot more people if they really took the time to understand these rules, would consider not using simple wills uh, as the primary estate planning document. If you want to learn more about this, you need to come to one of our upcoming workshops. We're having them south of town, north of town. You can find out all about them at our website. Just go to estateplantim.com. Uh, the actual website is secularlawfirm.com, but you're always going to have trouble spelling that one, so just go to estateplantim.com. It's going to take you right there. Go to the workshops tab and register. The workshop is free. We spend an hour and a half talking about wills and trusts and taxes. We talk about things like how does this nursing home system work? How can we protect assets from long-term care expenses? How can we be smart about taxes? Uh, all of this stuff is covered in the free workshop. It's a great use of your time. We get awesome marks on this. Like a lot of people really enjoy the workshop. We even have people that come back for a second dose. 
uh, and I would encourage you to check it out. If you're not near your computer, you can give us a call, 724-546-4227, and we'll get you registered uh, for one of the upcoming workshops. We've got some coming up in South Point and in our office in Cranberry. Um, and so uh, that's that's sort of the beginning of this. Now, here's the thing. Um, I just want to sort of summarize the first half of the show by saying this. There's this sort of common notion out there that if you're not rich, all you need is a simple will. It is a notion which I generally disagree with. Um, the reason for that is I believe that you want to do planning more than just – if you really sat and, and thought about this, you probably want to answer more than just the question – who gets my stuff when I die? You want to plan for disabilities, divorces in the family, deaths in the family. You want to plan for nursing home issues. You probably want to plan for these things because if you're doing estate planning, your primary objective is to get your stuff to your family without any undue headache, expense, or risk of loss to taxes or nursing homes. That's kind of the idea, right? Well, wills don't do that. Um, now, we can do some of that stuff with a will. Wills can plan for underage people. Wills can plan for dis disabled people. But what I know to be true is that when people use a will as their primary estate planning document, most of their money, because a financial advisor tells you you should avoid probate, most of the money has a beneficiary designation on it, right? which means when you pass away, it just goes to the person. So here you've got a will that might answer the question, what happens with my youngster grandkids if they inherit the money, or what happens with my disabled person, or what happens if my daughter goes to a divorce? You might have answered all those questions in a will, but the financial advisor tells you to slap a beneficiary designation on all the money, which sidesteps the will, and now all that money is subject to that disability, that divorce, that, that issue. Right? So we want the benefits of doing good estate planning, which could be done in a will, but we want the ease of beneficiary designations to avoid probate. And so the meaning of this, if we want to do good planning and avoid the probate system, is to consider the use of a trust for your estate plan. Right? That's kind of why these things exist. Now, there's a couple of different types of trusts. There are revocable trusts and irrevocable trusts. And you know, we've done a lot of episodes over, over the years on this topic, revocable trust versus irrevocable trust. So you can find all that content on our Spotify or YouTube channel, um, or just go to estateplantim.com. You can find all the old episodes and a bunch of content that we've written. I, I am a big fan of middle class and upper middle class families using irrevocable trusts, at least for some of their assets, generally speaking, the primary residence. I like to see the primary residence in a lot of situations in an irrevocable trust. Because by having it in an irrevocable trust for a retiree, now I know that I have just saved this family from their biggest financial risk in retirement, and that is the threat of long-term care. One in three seniors are going to have dementia. Two in three seniors are going to need some form of long-term care. And nursing homes in Pennsylvania cost $160,000 a year in today's dollars, thirteen grand a month. All right, That's today's dollars. If you need a nursing home, maybe that's 10 years away. What's it going to cost then? 20 grand a month? Well, who can stand that? Who's going to be able to pay $20,000 a month for your nursing home? And if you go to the nursing home and the bill is $20,000 a month, how is your spouse, if you're married, how is your spouse going to get by? Because the money's gone, guys. Let me just walk you through a case. So let's say a family came to my office and they did not plan ahead and they had a home and they had $400,000 of cash, right? Dad goes to the nursing home. Mom's allowed to keep the house. 
and mom's allowed to keep half of that money, but up to a maximum. The maximum this year is about $148,000, which means we've got $252,000 exposed to dad's nursing home bill. Once we've spent the quarter million dollars, now dad can be asset eligible for Medicaid. So now mom has a house on $148,000. Okay. Now dad's finally on Medicaid. Okay. But some of his income needs to go to the nursing home every month which puts mom in a bind because now she has less income. So they've already taken more than half of her money. Now they're taking some of the family's income, and mom is having trouble getting by. She starts running out of money. The only place she can get any money is to sell the house, and the state claims to have an interest in that house. And it's all ugly, but watch what happens. Watch what happens if we simply reverse this thing. And rather than having the house in mom and dad's name, we have the house in a trust. Okay, a Medicaid Asset Protection Trust, which means after five years, the nursing home system cannot touch that house. It's exempt. For, it's not exempt. It's, it's been removed from the eligibility, uh, the, the asset and eligibility calculations for Medicaid. Right? All right, so now dad goes to a nursing home. Mom is living in a house owned by a trust, right? and she has $400,000. Well, from the $400,000, she's only allowed to keep one hundred forty-eight. All right which means we still have a $252,000 problem, except here's the big difference. Mom is also allowed to own a primary residence. And at this point, mom's up in years. She'd like to have that single premium, that single level patio home up the street. But uh, she's got this house that now that dad is sick, she really can't take care of. And so, but this house that she's been living in has been in a trust. She doesn't own that house. The trust owns a house. So it's not actually her primary residence because she doesn't own it. So now mom has 400000 She's allowed to keep $148,000. she has got $250,000. She's got to spend on something. We now have the choice of whether to spend that on her husband's nursing home bill or we have the choice to spend $250,000 on the patio home she's been wanting anyway. So now mom has a house to live in and some money in the bank. Now dad's on Medicaid, and now the family did not lose a quarter million dollars. And so now, after proper education, this family knows that by simply having their house in an irrevocable Medicaid Asset Protection Trust, that if one of them goes into the nursing home, if dad goes into the nursing home, mom has a house to live in and some money in the bank. Um, And, you know, I don't know about you, but when I said I do, that's kind of what I meant. Honey? Life's going to throw us some curveballs. There's going to be ups. There's going to be downs. But I promise you, you will have a house to live in and some money in the bank. And if that means, because we have this broken Medicaid nursing home quagmire system for seniors, if that means i got to put my house in some silly trust to make sure that my wife has a house to live in and some money in the bank, well, you know what, darn it? That's something I'm willing to do. I'm willing to put my house in a trust. I still get to sleep in a house every night. Um, I, you know, the kitchen smells the same. The grass still needs mowed. It's the same house, but if by having it in a trust, we just protected a quarter million dollars for my family as compared to losing it to a long-term care expense, well, that, that checks for me. That makes sense to me. And these are the types of things that we'll teach you if you take an hour out of your life to join me at our Three Secrets Workshop, the Three Secrets to Protect Your Family and Your Finances. Uh, we host these in the South Point. We host them in Cranberry. We're soon going to be hosting them uh, in a couple other locations. And during the thing, I'm going to teach you all about wills and powers of attorney and revocable trust and irrevocable trust and taxes and Medicaid. We're going to teach you a lot of these things that you're going to want to know in order to make good decisions. 
And then we offer an extremely affordable way for you to actually get it done. Um, we do excellent work at an excellent price. Um, and I'm really proud of my team because we've been really able to do some unique things and help some people this year. Um, and you can find out all about our law firm. You can find out about this workshop and whether you want to attend or not by simply going to um, secularlawfirm.com. Now, that's kind of hard to spell, my last name, but my first name's easy. So instead, just go to estateplantim.com, um, and it's going to redirect you to our website where you can register for workshops, watch some of our videos, uh, do all kind of good work, um, and, uh, and provide an introduction for how, uh, how our law firm can help you. So recap of today's episode. I think I think the common advice that people get, hey, you're not rich, all you need is a simple will, is nonsense. Um, now, there are people that all they need is a simple will, um, but that's not a majority of the people. And a majority of the people are getting this advice that, oh, you get your will, or you did the will when the kids are little. And the reality is you need to do better planning now. Um, simple wills aren't enough. Beneficiary designations are not enough. If we want to get real about planning, you got to ask yourself, do I actually want to get, have a good plan or do I want to check some box that says I got a document? Because if you want to check some box that says I got a will, that's fine. But, you know, look, if you're listening to this episode, you're a retiree. You've worked 40, 50, 60 years to try to save a nest egg. You have perhaps raised a family, perhaps maintained a marriage, perhaps not maintained a marriage. You've been through a lot, all right? And the last thing you want to do is take this nest egg that you've got and leave it to chance. This is not hard. It just requires some of your time, some of your time to become educated, some of your time to understand your options, and then make some decisions. And you can find out all about it. I really think our workshop is the right place to start. You can find out about it at estateplantim.com, where you can register for one of our upcoming workshops. They're free, and they're great. Um, I hope this show was uh, beneficial to you. I hope you learned something. But remember, don't make any financial or legal decisions based on this radio show or anyone else's radio show, for that matter. Every family is different. Your family is different. And we need to give you some advice on how to plan accordingly. Find out more at estateplantim.com. I appreciate you listening to this week's episode. We'll check you out here next week. This has been the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by the Seckler Law Firm, where great families make great plans. SecklerLawFirm.com or call 724-841-1393.